This dopey, dopey podcast is coming in your ear with heroin and ketamine, sobriety and beer. Dave and that other guy, you know, the hot one, everybody wants to fuck. Just thought I'd throw in a visual for the listeners. Now you know. Good luck. So pull up a chair, start the car, let's get on the road, hey, let's go. The Dopey Podcast is starting up, welcome to the show. of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. What is Oro? Oro is treatment that implements compassion and connection rather than control. They were started by our old friend Bob Forrest and his old friends Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission is to help drug addicts and alcoholics to have a better life. Their team has many decades of experience in treating alcoholism, drug addiction, as well as co-occurring mental illness, including SMI. They make sure that you are treated by humans and that you feel human while you're in treatment. They also care that you feel good. And we know people that have been to Oro and they only say that it was one of the most incredible recovery experiences of their lives. So if you're looking for a place to get better, I cannot suggest Oro enough. They also have amenities you wouldn't believe, fucking sound bath meditation, surfing, equine therapy, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. If you're fucked, you should go. They are super highly rated. Check them out at ororecovery.com. Go get yourself some recovery and have fun at Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Your Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an app. Sober Buddy is a community. Sober Buddy is like a budding social media platform. You go to YourSoberBuddy.com or the App Store or the Google Play Store, sign up. You get the first 30 days as a trial. If you don't like it, you can leave. They do 12 Zooms a week. I do one of them on Wednesday. I've seen people get better using Sober Buddy. They give you CBT-based challenges, a sober tracker, an amazing group of people. If you're looking to bolster your recovery, I cannot suggest Sober Buddy enough. Check them out. Join us at Sober Buddy. This 
episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help with your taxes, your bookkeeping, your payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. And perhaps more importantly than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. That's right, a crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com and you will get special discounts. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the Phoenix. I love the Phoenix. The Phoenix is all about fun and recovery, just like Dopey. It's all about enjoying your life, whether that's getting in shape, playing pickleball, going for a hike, going to see some music. Sobriety should be fun. Recovery should be fun. Check out the Phoenix at thephoenix.org slash find a class or at thephoenix.org slash movement. The only cost for attendance is 48 hours of sobriety. They also have yoga, art, music. Check out thephoenix.org right now and see what's possible. Okay, that's enough ads. Here is the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and it is a beautiful spring day on Long Island, on Long Island. And I am in the uh, Dopey studio, the Dopey room. It's kind of clean. I feel pretty good. Somebody, something happened, right? There's a lot to talk about today. We have a thrilling day after seven Years after seven and a half years, uh, we finally got Steve Earle to come on the show. So, like, let's cheer. Yay. Let's knock the vape. Fucking, I don't, hold on. Let me see if I can get the cheers. Yay. All right. I like the cheers. Makes me feel, it makes me feel like somebody really cares. Right, guys? All right. Um, Steve Earle is on the show. Also, uh, for those who are very in the know, and heard the first song on the show. It was the mighty Ray Brown. Ray Brown may or may not be making an appearance in this episode. And my dad is back this week. So here, yay, my dad. So something happened. A lot of stuff happened, but what happened that I would like to share, first of all, oh, God, last Sunday we had a party. And uh, it was Susan's fifth birthday party. We had a party. Nice time. My cousin came over. She brought her her son. And my dad came over. And me and my dad talk about it a little bit more when, when he comes in. But at the end of the night, I go upstairs to do something on the computer. And I find that my computer is broken. And uh, this is the computer that has been making Dopey for the past, you know, five years. And uh, something happened to it. 
I think one of my children smashed it or Linda or my dad or my cousin or my cousin's son or my cousin's husband. We don't know who broke the dopey computer, but we know it is gone. So we'll take a moment of silence. Oh, man. It's so, change is so difficult. I had bought another computer uh, for Howie to do the dopey Daily Reflections YouTube stuff. So now I'm working on that. I've, I think I'm already used to it. I, I had to grab some some songs off the old computer. The, the machine has like a line on it and a smash mark. And, you know, change is difficult. It's not easy to do new things, but we're here. It's all right. We're going to survive. And I want to share something real quick. I, I, uh, Linda's foot is healing. I probably should have started with Linda's foot. Linda's foot is healing well. She's mobile. She's getting around. And uh, for a little period there, I wasn't going to meetings. And when I went to my first meeting, my thought was, fuck these guys. I fucking hate this shit. I don't want to be here. I don't want to hear it. And it was really interesting that when I hadn't been to a meeting in that long, that my first reaction was to hate it so much. And then I forced myself to go. So what does that tell you? I'm a slave. I drink the Kool-Aid. I'm in a cult. But my brain needed some washing because I feel much better. So if you don't go and you feel like maybe you should, you should take the great advice that a woman said many, many years ago on Dopey, which is you go until you like it. So that's my, my big message to everybody out there. Go until you like it. If you're looking for a way to support the show, go to Patreon. My dad is on, you know, he's on the show this week, but he's on video on Patreon. So that's something to see. And uh, there's some just for today's. There's some other stuff on there. Some some good stuff, some little bits and pieces. So go. Oh, last week we did the video with uh, with Chrissy Metz of the big hit TV show. This is us. So if you like this is us, go to www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast. But more importantly, if you like dopey, Sign up for Dopey Patreon, and you can get bonus stuff. And uh, I want to say this before I say anything else. I just got a box of stickers, really cool stickers, designed by wonderful dope James Glennie and produced by CustomStickers.com. And, like, CustomStickers.com makes incredible stickers. If you're looking to get stickers... Go to customstickers.com. If you're looking to get stickers made, go to customstickers.com. They do it cheap, they do it fast, and the shit is high quality. And most importantly, they'll give you 20% off your stickers if you use the code DOPEY20. So go get your own cool stickers made and use the code DOPEY20. And then in other news, because of this partnership with customstickers.com, if you want Dopey stickers... I'll send you one for free. If you want a lot, that's going to cost you. But send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com, and I will send you some stickers. All right, I want to read this. Last week we had a poppy seed email, and I asked for poppy seed-flavored stories. I got this. Hey, Dave, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Emailer, you can call me Miles. I'm 16 months clean after a 22-year run of mostly heroin but pretty much everything else when available. Working a program now, grateful to be in recovery. Okay, recently you were talking about poppy seeds. I have a twist on that. Back in the early mid-2000s, you could buy dried poppy pods, 
from arts and crafts places. I guess people thought they looked cool. I don't know, arts and crafts, not really my thing, but residual opioids are definitely my thing. And as it turns out, these pods contained residue of opium in them. So in a pinch, this is crazy. When I ran out of dope, I would buy a box of these pods, mash them up, and boil them on the stove for an hour to create a concoction. I lovingly called it vomit tea for its delightful flavor. In a case of pure junky logic, I would add lemon juice on the theory that, and this is in quotes, that the theory that the acid would release the opioids more efficiently. I should make a video of me shoot, of me reading this. Total bullshit, probably. Anyway, it depended on a lot on the specific batch of pods, but sometimes the shit would fuck you up, a long-lasting, smooth, mellow opiate buzz that reminded me very much of methadone. It could also get you strung out and worse off than you were before. Also like methadone. Ha ha ha. Anyway... Love the show. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Love, Miles. Thank you, Miles. Send me your address, and you get Dopey Socks. We're actually out of Dopey Socks. It's crazy. But we're about to get 200 new pairs of new Dopey Socks. So send me your, your, um, your whatchamacallit, your email, I mean, your address, and I will send you new Dopey Socks. And if you want to buy new Dopey Socks... I will charge you $15 and you can get new Dopey Socks. You can you can go on the Dopey Socks waiting list. And if you want Dopey Socks, we also have all these new hats and, and lots of stuff. Venmo me for that stuff. Go to www.dopeypodcast.com and, uh, and order merch. All the merch is made by SRO Prints and they're awesome, super high quality merch. And if you are a person that has bought Dopey merch, take a picture of yourself in the merch. I need pictures of people wearing dopey clothes. That would be incredibly helpful. All right, I got another uh, poppy seed thing. Uh, it's a voicemail from England, and uh, I just want to give a, a warning. I know my dad is going to hear this and say that this was a bad idea to play this voicemail. I just think, listen, it's a good voicemail. It's from a guy named Josh Joshua in England. I love it. Uh, we've all been through stuff. Joshua is sober. This is his experience with poppy seeds and pods and tea and all that stuff. So here's Joshua. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dopey. I uh, I just heard someone write in to the show about uh, poppy seeds. Um, and it reminded me of, I think it was probably three years total of my addiction. I was addicted to poppy seed tea. Um and it threw my tolerance up so high that when I went out and, you know, tried to call some regular gear, it wouldn't even touch it, which shows how potent, for one, it could be. Um, but I live in a little village around Oxfordshire, uh, and there's loads of shops called the cooperatives, uh, which is just, just like a, it's a co-op. It's a, it's a small shop, and they used to stock, like... Uh, organic seeds and nuts and poppy seeds so i had one at the end of my road uh, after reading about this on arrowhead this was the first time and lo and behold they sold poppy seeds uh so i remember you know trying it and it was it was all right but obviously i didn't you know mix enough i remember same as what a previous the previous guy said in a two liter bottle used to shake it for ages strain it out i used a t-shirt instead of a dirty sock um but I'm sure it didn't matter that much. Um, 
So, yeah, after that, I remember I would travel around all of these shops around Oxfordshire, these co-ops, buying up all of their poppy seeds. And I used to call ahead and say, have you got any of the the poppy seeds in stock? Um, I used to say, I've got a soap making business. I mean, I used to lie through my teeth and I used to say, I've got a soap making business um, and poppy seeds in soap is good for exfoliation, I used to say. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'd used poppy seed soap before. Um, and they used to put them aside for me, yeah, we got four bags for you. Uh, and at the end of my run, I was using eight bags to get well. Um, and it was strong stuff. It was basically, supposedly a mix of alkaloids, but basically what makes up opium. Um, and I was knocking back all of this disgusting tasting liquid. Uh, and then I also read you're supposed to put lemon juice with it uh, to help remove the coating uh, but that made it taste a little bit better but I was knocking back litres and litres of this liquid um, but then beyond that once I'd exhausted all of the local stocks I found out that Amazon sold these big bags of poppy seeds uh, and if you looked at the Amazon comments they were all sort of people basically saying they use them to get high but not in those words so they were like saying oh this baked me a lovely warm fuzzy cake and stuff like that so I knew, right, they were the ones. Uh, and then they kept me going for another six months. I used to have five 10-kilo bags turn up at my house. Uh, but then I think there was quite a high-profile death through this poppy CT. Someone overdosed. Um, and then beyond that, I think there was a clampdown on all of the companies, distributors selling these poppy seeds. And they had to sell them washed. So beyond that, I couldn't get them off Amazon. Uh, I couldn't get them from my local co-ops. So that was that for poppy CT. But then I read about poppy pod tea. So poppy pods were used in the dried flower arrangement industry because uh, they looked pretty and they were dried. Um, but they were dried with the latex still inside them. So I moved from poppy CT to buying poppy pods uh, and similar sort of thing, mashing them up in hot water, strain them out, make a tea. Um, but similarly, I think that industry cottoned on to the fact people were getting high from their products. So they, uh, at least in my area, stopped selling them. Online distributors just either stopped selling them or quadrupled the price. Um, and I'd love to say that was the end of my using, but obviously then I moved on to street gear, uh, and pills, codeine, you can get over-the-counter codeine here. Um, mixed with ibuprofen, so I ended up straining out the ibuprofen, and, and just so much junky science uh, in in the quest to get high. So uh, I'm glad those days are behind me, um, and yeah, I'd just love to say thanks to your podcast. Uh, it's like having a it's like having a, a community of of scallywags like myself. Basically, I love hearing the stories. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm grateful. Peace and love from Oxford, uh, and toodles for Chris. All right, thank you, Josh. You get socks as well, although paying for shipping to England is just out of control. But you deserve them, so you get socks too. Send me your address, and I will send you socks. And somebody alerted me, I believe it was my friend Nat, of the Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast, which is a podcast you guys should definitely check out. It's Nat and his buddy Mike, and it's all about addiction and recovery from 12-step to all recovery. They 
covered dopey. They read books. They talk about it. They have a good time, and they are a great network of support for you if you're interested in getting sober. Check out Recovery in the Middle Ages uh, wherever you get your podcasts. That was a very smooth segue to plug Nat's show. But Nat was telling me that in Dopey Nation, someone was saying that they sent in a, an email or a voicemail and they didn't get socks. So first of all, you know, write me. What are you posting in Dopey Nation trying to put me on blast, trying to make me look bad in front of our community? So that's not nice. And number two, uh, did I read your story? Did I play your voicemail? If that's the case, send an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com and let me know that you deserve socks because I am not a welcher. I'm a forgetful person. I'm disorganized. I'm an asshole from time to time, but I am not a welcher. So if you have socks coming to you, just let me know and you will get the socks. I forget things. I have a lot of stuff happening. It's busy, busy, busy. Now, before we get to Steve Earle, I just need to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by Lusamira, a non-opioid prescription medicine used in adults to help with the symptoms of opioid withdrawals that may happen when you stop taking an opioid. Anybody who's been addicted to opioids knows it sucks. <laughs> Getting off of them is the worst. And Lusamira is the only FDA-approved non-opioid, non-addictive treatment for the relief of multiple symptoms of opioid withdrawal. But Lusamira can cause serious side effects, including low blood pressure, slow heart rate, and fainting. Watch for symptoms of low blood pressure or heart rate, including dizziness, lightheadedness, or feeling faint at rest or when quickly standing up. If you experience these symptoms, call your healthcare provider right away. After a period of not using opioid drugs, you can become more sensitive to the effects of opioids if you start using them again. This may increase your risk of overdose and death. Tell your healthcare provider if you take benzodiazepines, barbiturates, tranquilizers, sleeping pills, or drink alcohol, as taking these with Lusamira can cause serious side effects. The most common side effects of Lusamira include low blood pressure or symptoms of low blood pressure, such as lightheadedness, slow heart rate, dizziness, sleepiness, and dry mouth. Lusamira is available by prescription, and only a healthcare provider can decide whether the product is appropriate for you. To find a provider who is right for you, visit lusamira.com or just call 1-833-LUCEMYRA. If you're an opiate addict and you want some help, call 1-833-L-U-C-E-M-Y-R-A. We got a Grammy-winning musician, songwriter, guitar player, actor, writer. I met him when I was in very, very early recovery. I did not make an impression on him. As we started to do Dopey, his name is Steve Earle. You know, I think, I, I, I think my first interaction with Steve Earle was through the TV show, The Wire. And I met him at a 12-step meeting and I couldn't even believe that he was there and he was so cool. And when Chris and I started doing the show, I was thinking he would be an incredible guest. And then over the next seven and a half years, I ran into him, I would guess six or seven times, uh, harassing him, haranguing him, and recently I was walking up the West Side Highway and he was walking down and uh, and we had another conversation and he agreed to come on. So finally, seven and a half years in the making, 
Grammy Award winning, brilliant, beautiful musician, Steve Earle. I've been, you know, every time I see you on the street, I met you in 2013 right. in, uh, on Prince Street in right. the Secret Society right. when I was trying to get sober. And, and I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm going to introduce you properly. Steve, Steve Earle, Grammy winner, fucking over 20 records, actor, songwriter, producer. Is, would you call the Audible thing a podcast? I mean, the God, was that even the podcast part of Audible that did that? I guess it was. No, actually, it was the theater department at Audible that did that. No, because I've got two different Audible things. I forgot. Cold Country's on Audible. And then I, I did a piece that, that was a group of stuff that T-Bone Burnett curated, the one, um, the 1965 one, about my whole theory about a lot of my course, songwriting course, is built around the idea that songwriting becomes... And, you know, pop songwriting becomes a high art form in 1965 in the moment where Bob Dylan wants to be, you know, John Lennon and John Lennon wants to be Bob Dylan. And and boom, you know, the, I think the lyrics literally single handedly elevated pop, you know, pop music to being a real art form during the time I was growing up, which left us people like me and my age kind of spoiled. And, you know, we'll, we'll sound like old farts talking about pop music when we, you know. And I try not to fall into that trap, but it's it's hard not to do because the bar was very very high when I learned how to do this. You know, we were, I'm a post Bob Dylan songwriter, so the bar was high. I, I listened to that show today, and I loved it because I'm. Um, I mean, my top two are probably Dylan and Bob Dylan and John Lennon, and right. and uh, you know that the famous scene of them in the taxi and ever you, you heard that recording yeah i'm yeah. sure i because I, I hear you say that i i wanted to bring the beatles trivial pursuit to see how i could do I, oh I, i'll kick your ass i want to try really good. i want i'm, <laughs> I'm like really i was good. like why don't i have it no, with me no, no, I, I, there's people that can beat me but there's very few uh, i'm i'm you don't want to play beatles harry potter or um lord of the rings trivial pursuit well listen <laughs> I, I i don't know i i, I bow to your your knowledge and I bet you I would lose, but I would put up a fucking good fight. Cause oh, those yeah. are my, that's my wheelhouse. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. I, it's one of those things. It's kind of, I, I don't know why. Um, I like great storytelling, you know? So I'm a songwriter and I came up under one of the best story songwriters alive, Guy Clark. And, and so. you're, you're such a, a, a fan and such a student of rock and roll and music history. And you're this crazy prolific songwriter, musician, performer. Do the two ever fuck you up that you're both? No, I, I mean, I'm a singer songwriter. I didn't, I don't think of it in terms of, um, for one thing, I, I, I discovered this, it came home hard during the pandemic. I'm a pitiful motherfucker that, that relies on immediate feedback from an audience to feel like I have any worth in the world at all. I'm just used to that. And so I don't, you know, I don't know what to do if I can't go out and play my, I, I write songs for me to play for people. I'm flattered when somebody else writes them. I'm doing something that's not that for the first time in my life. And, and I moved here to do music for theater and I'm writing a musical. I'm writing a Broadway musical now. I mean, something that's intended for Broadway eventually if I'm, if I'm you know, knock on wood. That so, 1965 was supposed to be at Minetta Lane, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it was supposed to be live at Minetta Lane in front of an audience. Like, like Tom Morello did a, a piece that was part of that that series. And his I, I, I attended his recording session. He did two nights at, at Minetta Lane, and I lived two blocks away. So he's an old friend of mine. And, you know, it was just uh, I had to do mine at Electric Lady, which actually kind of works out okay too because uh, culturally it was recorded in Greenwich Village and I talk about where I am and why I'm there 
in that recording. And, and, um, but you lament, it was way having... harder to do because right. I was doing it without an audience. Cause I'm used to doing it. If I could have done that with an audience, we would have done a couple of nights and I'd have riffed and it would have been easy. And it was a lot of fucking work. Cause I had to basically kind of write it all. You we, know, like, we just saw uh, what's his face. Andre Royo do drinking in America. At the I haven't seen that. I think it's done. But yeah. I talked to yeah. him and he loved you. I told him that I had run into you on the West Side Highway and that I've been harassing you for many years. Right. When you see me coming, are you like, oh, shit, it's this fucking guy again? No, it's not that. It's just it was it's not it's hard to schedule. Anything. Of course. You know, I'm a single dad is the main problem. Totally. So that's that's my life, you know, from from Labor Day to Memorial Day, nine months of the year. And I gave up touring the rest of the during that nine month space, except for a few things, hardly strictly bluegrass. I still do every year. And I do the outlaw country cruise. You did gray Fox, didn't you recently? I did gray Fox last summer. Yeah. I was there during the summer touring period. And, uh, well, you got to see one of the last gigs with the band. That's the last tour with the band, probably for the foreseeable future, maybe forever. Why? They all quit. Why? (laughs) The day after, um, I don't know. Last summer was tough. It was hard. It was hard for everybody, but I was the oldest motherfucker on the bus. So I don't, you know, uh, they quit and they quit by email and, and, um, uh, that's not how that should happen. They so quit I, by email. Yeah. And mass by email the day after hardly strictly bluegrass. And, um, you know, I don't even want to get into it, but it's just one of those things I decided I've kept that band going when it was financially, I'm really good solo. And it's like, it's, it's insane for me at this point in my life to be going out there and trying to keep a band going. Cause I play, you know, I don't, the, the business, the whole business is shrinking and it's, it's really hard to make a living out there with a, the band, especially when I only have three months to make the whole note for the whole year. So, I mean, it's okay. It, it broke my heart and it hurt my feelings at the time, but then I did the math and, and figured out I'll go out and play a few less dates, get to fish a little bit more, see my kids and my grandkids a little bit more over the course of the summer and I'll make about $80,000 more than I did last summer. And I've already picked the guitar out. And everybody wants to see you play alone anyway. The, the solo, it's about the songs. And and it was a great band. It was like, I, I finally had a band that could do almost anything I'd ever written. But even that, I'm kind of looking forward to recording because even though the band was capable of doing everything I'd recorded so far, I found myself writing for that band. You know, and there's a box involved when you're writing for any particular you know, group of musicians and, and I just as a writer. So the theater thing's kind of cool because it opens that up. Like Tender Mercies is like, I know how to do this because it's a country musical. It's a format I'm, I'm you know, familiar with. So I won't be breaking any ground for myself there uh, other than it's 3D. And I don't know, theater is poetry in 3D and, a mus- and musical theater is 4D, you know. So it's, it's, it's a trip. It's really hard to do. The American book musical... And I'm talking about as opposed to a light opera, which a lot of Broadway, just post Andrew Lloyd Webber, Broadway became light opera rather than book musicals where there's actually a play yes. with songs integrated into it. And, you know, I, I, I love Jesus Christ Superstar. I knew that record, the original. I record. love that everything's all right now. I, yeah, that's song? a great song. That's a killer song. I, I don't know how to love him is a great song. Um, it's so good. Uh, and it's all it's all great. And it's fucking Ian Gillian, who's the lead singer in Deep Purple, singing Jesus Killer. Christ. It was, it was some, some of the best musicians. And, and uh, Murray Head sang, sang Judas in the original. When I was in early recovery, I don't even know how that Everything's All Right came to me. But I don't, I don't know how it happened. But right. all of a sudden, I heard that song. 
and I just played it. Like I played it over and over and over again. It right. just because that when that the keyboard that comes in. I don't like it when it gets really intense, but the right. beginning is like the chill well, is fucking. Because it gets play. into the other characters. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually taking place in two different places yeah. In, yeah. in the show. So. You know what I'm talking but about. But the musical is like a different thing because there's a real play involved, and, and Daisy Foote's written real plays, and it's uh, it's it's cool. It's it's been um, you know, we're probably not quite halfway through the process. We've been working on it a couple of years. It, it takes theater takes four years. That's been my experience. Like. Cold Country took four years. The Richard Maxwell play, which I only wrote one song for, but I wrote the score for, I, I put together a score for Lillian Pipes and percussion, leave it to me to write a score for a play that on an instrument that only four fucking people, you know, <laughs> in, in the New York area play. What's and, the uh, instrument? Elian Pipes. Elian Pipes. Pipes. Yeah, yeah, the Irish Pipes, the original Pipes. The Why Pipes did... are like, they think they came from Galicia in Spain because there is a Galician version. In Ireland, they're fond of saying that the Irish gave the Scottish the pipes as a joke and they took it seriously. And it's one of those things. But they're all, all those pipe instruments. The Alien pipes are a modern version of the pipes that uses a bellows rather than a bag. So the, it's, the pitch is truer because the, the flow of air is more constant. And Incredible. It's, it's a great instrument. It's my favorite. I, I love Irish traditional music. It's my favorite instrument in music. So, All right. Well, that's awesome. And because our show is more about drug addiction than alien pipes, I want to know, when's the first time you got high? When I, when I got high? First yeah. time? I was 11 years old. And I, Were yeah. you playing music or you got high first? I got high first. But, I mean, I, well, they're simultaneous. But they don't have anything to do with each other. It's just, it goes back to the disease exists genetically in my family. Uh, I grew up with the steps in the serenity prayer on the wall. Really? And my grandfather got sober here in New York City and right after World War II. New Bill W., new Dr. Bob. Wow. And when he went back kicking and screaming to Northeast Texas to run the family hardware store when his stepfather died, he started, there were no meetings in Northeast Texas, and he was sober by that time, so he started, you know, nearly every meeting that's incredible. In East Texas. And so I grew up with the prayer and, and, and the steps on the wall, and I avoided like the play because I had evidence in my life that it would work. So then my uncle, his son, was only five years. My mother's half-brother was only like five years older than me. He and was got, your musical hero? I got my first, yeah, he was my first. He, I got my first Elvis, Beatles, Stones, Dylan, all from him until I started having to buy records on my own. And he, he, he lived with us when he was a senior in high school for a year because his mother was in treatment and as such as it was in those days, this was 1967. So she was in the state hospital for treatment. And uh, yeah, and she, she was in and out and she died at the director in a, in a halfway house in Brownwood, Texas that she had been the director of for years and years. And, and uh, she and my, it was really my grandfather. I say he's my step grandfather. We weren't related by blood at all. But he, uh, they met in an AA meeting in, in Long Beach, Texas. And that's, so it's a thing in my family. And, but Nick, gave, you know, he gave me all those records. And, and my first guitar was a hand-me-down from him. He played left-handed because he had had polio. And he was right-handed, but his left arm had been damaged enough that he couldn't fret the instrument with his left hand like you would normally do. So he turned it over and played left-handed. And, of course, I learned to play upside down for about a year until he gave me the guitar and I figured out if I strung it back the other way, things would get a lot easier and progress a lot faster. But I learned mostly off of, he showed me a few chords and, and then he moved out and I started learning everything off of records in the Mel Bay chord book from that point on. And were you drinking? Were you smoking weed? Like how pot did was, it? Pot was first. I mean, I may have had a taste of alcohol, you know, trying to see what was up with it before that. But my, 
my uncle was smoking. We were in San Antonio, Texas, you know, so we were, there was pot and it was cheap, way cheaper than beer and easier to get. You didn't have to be, you know, 21 to, to get it. So smoked my first joint when I was 11. I shot dope the first time when I was 13. Shut was, up. And, and, how, absolutely. How, how did that happen? My uncle. <laughs> so it was your uncle a heroin? <clears throat> no, I shot speed before I shot dope. He just, he was into IV drugs by the time I was in high school, by the time I was by middle school and high school. Uh, took, I didn't take LSD until I was 14. He was 17, 18, you're 12. He was 19 when I was, he was 19, he was five years older than me. He was 19 when I was 14. Right. So, so. the first, when you're 13 years old, you're like, what did you call him? Uncle Nick? I called him Nick. You're like, Nick, let me try that. And he's like, don't fuck no, with this. Funny. He didn't, I don't remember ever asking him for anything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't it was like they do shit like i was the kid and they you know they um i was learning to play guitar i went to all their he was at a band when he was in high school i went to all their gigs and when they started smoking pot they'd do some shit to me that was like smoke would smoke a bunch of pot and then they'd get a, a jar of peanut butter and get a big like spoonful of it and say here try this and <laughs> and of course you can't swallow it because you have cotton mouth and they're all in a room with black lights so i can't swallow the peanut butter and i've got this psychedelic glow in the dark peanut butter stuck in my mouth and, and looking stupid and they'll laugh at me and um so that kind of shit went on but but he um but the next week he's like now try shooting speed <laughs> it's yeah, like first it, we're gonna start with weed and peanut butter give me everything i tried for the first time i got from nick up for a long time i don't think definitely peyote the first time and we got that stuff we were in the southwest plus there was five air force bases in the vietnam war going on so we got thai stick and and and, and was some it, op was some it, opium was it chocolatey first of all was the thai the you know how they say chocolate thai you ever well, heard that back then it was like it was the only it was in, it was the only indica we ever saw but it was the thai stick it's just a. Uh, it just had resin on the outside, sort of sticking it to a bamboo stick and then a piece of fiber around it to kind of hold it together. And it was called tie stick. It was all tops. Everything else was a bag of pot that you had to manicure yourself. But this this was since the first Sensimia I right. ever saw. Right. You know? Then then a few years later, you know, we started seeing, you know, the the so-called Acapulco gold and, and, and the and Panama other, red other Sensimia that came up. From I don't want to skip the opium though. Cause I never have anyone opium on the show. Was, was a very short period of time during the Vietnam war that opium would occasionally get into San Antonio, but it was because of pilots. Cause they didn't go through customs. So they just they, had it on and them. They, they're stationed in, in Thailand, not in Vietnam. The air force didn't fly out of Vietnam. They flew out of Thailand during the Vietnam war. And some of those guys used, and, and and they would bring stuff back. And sometimes a little bit of it would get out to the public. Would you smoke opium out of the big thing on your side, like the old? No, we no. smoked it in, in in basically little brass pot pipes, like pot, know. like the little pot pipes, yeah, yeah, like hash pipe, yeah, whatever. Because yeah, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know how you were supposed to smoke opium, you know. And we probably wasted a lot of it. Not any doubt about it. In that period where you're you're smoking weed, you try acid when you were what fifteen? You said fourteen. Fourteen. And the music is happening. Well, acid became my first real addiction. I mean, I did the other things. I got strung out on on, on heroin a couple of times before I moved to Nashville. But I could always, I, you know, I knew that wasn't, you know, convenient because I didn't really live anywhere. I was hitchhiking around Texas and playing gigs. And music was the main force. And it kind of kept me. And there were so many drugs that I took that I didn't concentrate on one thing. And I did drink. 
And, um, you know, I went to keg parties and, and drank beer and I wasn't all that crazy about it. I liked hard liquor better. And, and I, as I got older, by late teens, 17, 18, 19, I got to Nashville when I was 19. And by that, and everybody drank. There was no heroin on the street in Nashville at all. There, well, very, very little. And it was very, very low quality. And, and, and what most of the addicts used were Dilaudids that were like six, anywhere between 50 and $60 a piece for a number four Dilaudid. And I couldn't afford that. Uh, I did cocaine when people, other people had it, but I couldn't afford it. So I didn't do a lot of it. Mainly we drank and we drank a lot. And when I drank, I drank like an alcoholic. Trust you me. You just mentioned though, you were acid was the, was the main thing in your teen years. When I was 14 years old, you know, I had my, the first drugs I had my own source for, my uncle went to prison and what for drugs, uh, drugs. Yeah. For, for first three sold a matchbooks full of, it was like a, a matchbox. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. old, that used to, be the smallest denomination of pot that you could buy besides buying a couple of joints. And it was usually manicured was the thing. It was already, it was cleaned, but in a, in a, one of those, those red top matchboxes, which I don't know how much it held, but, but I forget what those things cost, but he sold a matchbox of marijuana to a federal narcotics agent because the feds were making cases on kids for pot in Texas. So it was, um, and that was a mercy if the feds got you because you could get, you know, you could get 20, 30 years, technically get life in prison for possession of pot in Texas and those days on state charge. So, so he went to El Reno. He got four years or something. He violated his probation when he'd been out. Like he was there 90 days, came back, violated his probation, went back and did, did like three years. So he was gone a lot. Once he was gone, I had to, to find my own drugs. And by that time there were, you know, Texas is, was part of the, you know, there's this connection between Austin and Berkeley that has to do with two things, underground comics and LSD. Cause Owsley went to Austin too. I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and there was, there was, that a was chemist. 13th floor elevator time. Yeah. 13th floor elevator is probably the first psychedelic man. They were in Austin, not in Berkeley. And, and, um, and even before that, the Conqueroo, which predated the, the elevator. This is something Billy Gibbons told me like, I don't know, probably, God, six or seven years ago that I never put together is that, you know, the elevators lived in Austin and Houston. They went back. The real music business in Texas in those days was in Houston. So they recorded in Houston and they would go back and forth because it was always some controversy about what was cooler in those days among, among those kind of people. But the 13 floor elevators and the moving sidewalks, Billy Gibbons' first band, sure. lived in the same fucking house on Allen Parkway at one point. Big communal hippie house with two bands living there. So you're saying Owsley went to Austin? Owsley went to Austin and, and you know, he set a couple of people up, you know, and. and what uh, was his mission? Was it because of the elevators? We, we got, we got, no, it was just, it was because I think the it school? had more to do with, with the underground comics and that just sort of cultural thing between Berkeley. Like, Freak Brothers, all that stuff. That's Berkeley. Wonder Warthog, that's Austin. Okay. You know, so it was like, and I think that it was just LSD had become an important cultural thing. And and it was a huge university town like Berkeley was. There was they were the two biggest, you know, college communities in the country. Do you think you were plugged into the Owsley acid? Uh I my my uncle gave me my first hit of acid, and then I kept he went to jail shortly after that. And I found ways to get it on my own, but I took it as often as I could get off, which meant I took acid the, the, the ninth grade, which I didn't finish either time I did it. I, I took LSD two and three times a week. Wow. And for really intense. And then I finally had a really bad anxiety attack. It was like, I was told 
nope, only take half of this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took two, which is what I did. And I took massive doses of LSD. And this was not club drugs. This was lysergic acid diethylamide 25. It wouldn't, sometimes with a speed in it, sometimes with this and some that. But we got orange sunshine. We got those Batman tabs that Owsley did. We got all that stuff. That's crazy. So, And you're listening to, to Dylan and Towns Van Zandt and Guy Clark at that point? Well, I didn't listen to Guy Clark till the mid-70s because he didn't make a record till the mid-70s. Well, I don't even know about Guy Clark until I heard about him right. from you. But so Ta- I- Towns made his first record in 68, and his records were in the same shops as Jackson Brown's records and Bob Dylan's records were, so I didn't know that he wasn't just as famous until much later, until I met him, really, basically. I feel like you put him on the map for people like me. For some people, for maybe some, and then I got out of jail and, 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 you know, all of a sudden people that probably didn't even listen to me, you know, like Jay Farrar and, and it, it, like, you know, by the, by the time I got out of jail, I never knew Uncle Tupelo existed. You know, we were, I was recording, I feel all right with a person that was, that recorded AM, the Wilco record and was involved in, and he was like helping mix trace the first sun record so i was like and then but the, both those guys knew towns you know chapter and verse which was gratifying for me because i've been beating that drum my whole life but we skipped a lot to get to you in jail when when why did you go to nashville what was it like becoming an like a, a proficient guitar player proficient songwriter taking acid a few times a week what well, was that I period you like? know i mean the psychedelics had sort of chilled out by the time i got to nashville because i'd had an anxiety attack and I had to kind of stop doing it I, I took psychedelics a few more times after that, and it turned out better. But And I would smoke pot, and sometimes I would have an anxiety attack when I was really high on pot, so I would quit smoking pot for a while. And it became largely about alcohol and cocaine when somebody had it because it was the 70s and everybody was, you know, trying to have it declared a vegetable, and it wasn't. And I knew cocaine is something that, as a hard drug, I knew it was something you mix with heroin when you were bored. These guys were snorting it, which I'd never done. I'd only ever shot cocaine, so I, I didn't. When's I, the first time you shoot cocaine? Shot cocaine a speedball when I was probably 14, 13 or 14. And 14 when, probably. when's 14. the first? No, I was a freshman in high school because I remember a, guy, a friend of mine who I, I won't name his name, but he he was my main running buddy and using partner, and he was the first one that, that taught me about a speedball. Wow. Was it Frank Beard? No. Um, what I want to know is when did you get your first habit? Uh, I think I had an LSD habit, you know, I think that was my first habit. What about first heroin habit? Uh, well, probably I, and when I was around the same time, but I, but I, I shut that down. The first time I woke up sick, I shut heroin down for a while and I learned, and I would just not do it for six months, seven months. And then I'd do it a little bit. And if I got sick again, I I figured I, I was a chipper. For a long time, I would get strung out, but I would stop when I said as I knew that I was. I would push it as hard as I could push it without without having to, you know, go out and, and, and spend half my day getting drugs. And what was your relationship like with drugs when you started to get good at music? Um, it was bizarre because I didn't, you know, I never bought the idea that it enhanced creativity. I did not believe that. But I did go through a period where I liked to play high on pot. But then I had an anxiety attack on stage at the exit in and couldn't perform at all in front of audiences for a couple of years. This is after I got to Nashville and I had a publishing deal. And um, that was like my dreams going away. So I needed to sort that out. So I quit doing drugs. My second marriage was largely about drug use. And when you guys used together, we just yeah, we used it together. I, I left my first wife who didn't do anything wrong except marry me. I found a girl that was 
It's a great physical relationship and a mutual interest in drug abuse. And we just went on a rip that lasted for three years and got married somewhere in the middle of it. And when we split up, I stopped doing drugs entirely. Um, didn't even, I drank a little bit, not very much because it just didn't interest me that much. I always considered it to be an inefficient drug. But then slowly but surely, I started smoking a little pot and, you know, met a girl that insisted on going out to this beer joint and listen to music every weekend. And so I'd start drinking beer with her. And I eventually got back into doing some of the stuff I was doing, but I did not do any opiates. By the time I got to Nashville, no opiates at all that weren't prescribed until probably in the late, late 70s, early 80s. I found a couple of sources for prescription narcotics around Nashville that they weren't consistent, so I couldn't do it all the time. But first it was a guy that had this seemingly bottomless, you know, source of Tylenol 4s. And I would take, you know, two or three Tylenol 4s at a time and end up, you know, breaking out, you know, scratching a lot. But, um, and plus it's Tylenol. It's, it's, that's really, really bad for your liver. Super, super high doses of, of acetaminophen like yeah. that. And then, you know, there would be other things would come through. And then the heroin still was barely worth doing. Around the time I made Guitar Town, there was a guy in my band, and I won't name his name, but he and I used together, and he had figured out how to cop both heroin, you know, and Dilaudid's in Nashville, and I was starting to make more money, so the Dilaudid's seemed affordable, so I started, at first, I was just, ate the Dilaudid's, it used to piss people off, and when I got heroin, I would either smoke it, if it was smokable, or like tar on the West Coast, I would I would cook it down like I was going to shoot it and then just, you know, like basically I started making what everybody, a friend of mine referred to as my sissy sticks. I'd take a syringe and break the needle off of it and just draw it up, cook it up and draw it up and then just atomize it up my, up my nose. Was that just because you didn't want to, you didn't want to? I didn't want, I just felt like I was okay as long as I didn't start shooting it. And then it just became, by 1988 or so, I, you know, by the time Copperhead Road was out, I started shooting dope and um, just we knew it was more efficient and I had a habit. And, and you're making a bunch of money. I, I was making more money than I ever had in my life. Yeah. And I was on the road all the time. Was it that thought like I can afford to be a rock and roll junkie? Kind I of don't thing? know. I, it, it, my attitude at the time was was the opposite of what it is now. It was literally better living through chemistry. I, I just didn't understand why anybody would settle for the way that they felt when they could improve it. Totally. You know? Were there echoes of the serenity prayer that were on your wall in the back of your Probably, head? Probably, but you know, I, I first told myself that was about alcohol. And I didn't, I'd never, <laughs> heard, I'd never heard about Narcotics Anonymous until right. around 88 or 89, a friend of mine who'd been my roommate, who I used with, he'd, he got busted and went to jail. And then he got out and he got strung out again, but then he eventually just reached a point where it was untenable. He couldn't, it was all prescriptions. And he didn't shoot dope. He, he, you know, I went to a period of Tussinex cough syrup, like, you know, which was really strong. I, really, I, I, I was very, I used to, I wish the fuck I'd saved it. I had a, I had a bottle of Tussinex that uh, I had a prescription that from Memphis, not from Nashville, but uh, a Tussinex prescription signed Dr. Nick. Prescribed <laughs> Elvis is, Dr. Elvis George, is doctor. George Nicopolis. And I wish I'd saved that. That would have been, you know. Where did you know him? I, he was the, the house doctor at the studio where I was recording. So I got, 
I got bronchitis and they called Dr. Nick. Dr. And then Nick. I realized it was Dr. Nick. I asked if he would prescribe Tesamex and he had no problem. He wrote it to me. What about the pink, the pink Coke or the crazy swabs that the, Elvis? The what? Didn't Elvis do crazy long I, I don't sw- know what Elvis did. This was just like, oh, my only experience with Dr. Nick is I asked him for a Tesamex prescription and I got it. Okay. It. And we'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave it there. And how, and, and, and when did you start hanging out with Towns fans? Uh, I knew, met Towns when I was 17. And that's a funny thing about Towns. Those guys were had a heroin thing going at the time, but I never saw Towns shoot heroin. I never, um, you know, it was first me and Cindy, who later became his wife, they would keep us out in the, sitting out in the living room while they while him and, and some of the other guys would go and, and shoot dope. But we, I never, ever was allowed to use hard drugs around Towns, ever. Uh, Cook maybe. If there was cook around, he'd give me like a line that just pissed me off to snort and then go back in the room, in the back and shoot it all. How much older than you was he? 15 years, something like that. Do you see it at all, like the relationship between Dylan and Woody or not at all? Yeah, I mean, I knew he was just like, he was the best songwriter that I knew personally. You know, everything shifted when I met him because all of a sudden, you know, I, I knew that there were people there in Texas and, 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 people that I'm sitting, I crashed Jerry Jeff Walker's birthday party. And, and it's just, there was a scene going on there. And so people that were, could, were in the same room with me became a bigger deal than people that were on records at that point. Totally. And, and it led to me eventually when the time was 19, hitchhiking up to Nashville to stay. And, and, and then it started to take off. Yeah. I mean, it, I got a publishing deal within a year and, but I didn't get a record deal. And so it was a, still a struggle for several years. I was 31 when Guitar Town came out, you know, and uh, I a, got there when I was 19. It took me a long time. to get a It's record a deal. beautiful, beautiful record. And I didn't, I didn't stumble on your stuff until I saw The Wire. The Wire brought me to you, but that's my problem. But I, I you know, no, no, there's a lot of people. Look, I'm more, I'm known to more people because of that part in the wire than I am anything else I've ever done. For one thing, black people do not listen to my music. And if, if black folks know about me, it's because of the wire. And, you know, they don't they know my name. They probably don't even know I'm a musician. It's like, I'll be walking. I, I, when I was living in the village, I was like walking down McDougal, you know, on my way to Electric Lady or someplace early in the morning. And a guy, unloading the truck in front of one of the bars. So he goes, he goes, Hey, what's up the wire? So I'm, <laughs> said, I'm the wire. And, and people literally have stopped me and said, Hey man, thanks for help, helping bubs out. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah, yeah, but so. I, I stumbled onto you not from your part because they played feel all right at the end of season two. Right. And that, that uh, montage. And I was like, what the hell is that? And that's how I got into your music. Just well, it's funny because I, I, the last season, the way that came about is I was had moved to New York. I, I was out of a record deal. It took me a while to get another one. It was just because the record label I was recording for ended and I had to get another deal. And while we were doing that, I was writing the songs for Washington Square Serenade and I was changing the way that I recorded and kind of learning how to do it all over again. And I, uh, cause I'd had a recording studio that I'd worked in for years and I'd moved away from that. You know, I'd broken that umbilical when I moved here. So Simon happened to call me and he said, look, if, if I wrote you into an episode next year's going to be the last season. So if I wrote you into the last episode of this season, would you possibly, could you, is it early? Have I caught you early enough that you could commit to doing like four or five episodes next season? And I said, yeah, you caught me at a good time. I can do that. 
And I wanted to do it. They wanted me in the second and third seasons, but it was just I was touring too much, so it didn't make sense. Did you name yourself Waylon, or did they name you? The, he named me Waylon. I named myself Harley and and Trevay. Yes, Harley yes. Harley Watt with no S on the end is there's a character in a short story of mine called uh, Wheeler County that's in Doghouse Roses, my collection of short fiction, called Harley Watts. And because uh, they came up with a hit on Harley Watts when they started checking names for liability, legal dropped the S because they couldn't get a Harley Watt to come up with. So, so I named my, I got to name my character in, in Treme, but but I was always I was Waylon without a Y because Waylon it's a state owns Waylon with a Y. So so there's no Y in Waylon. In, in wow, the estate Waylon. owns it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Now I'm jumping around too much because I really want to know how you got clean. I went to jail. Um, I don't. I, I recommend you go to the Betty Ford Center. Um, you recommend the Betty Ford Center over jail? I, I, yeah, absolutely. I recommend any twelve-step based, you know, treatment facility. You know, is and and it doesn't matter if it's cushy or if it's not. I don't think that matters. What matters is is whether you really want to get clean or not. Now I was in a very bare bones place because I was so hard headed. I didn't go to to treatment to get clean. I went to get out of an orange suit. I finally got busted. I caught two drug charges within six weeks. What were the charges? Simple possession, tenth of a gram of heroin, right. and narcotics paraphernalia, and, and a twenty dollar rock. And they were ten days apart. I was literally, or no, a few months apart. I, I was literally making a court appearance on the first charge and still in my fucking in you know tie trying to buy crack when I caught the second. So was charge. the paraphernalia pipe or needle? A pipe. So crack. And uh, and a little bit. I was of I started smoking crack because I was mostly on the I was on a methadone program. I shot dope, you know. I shot dogs when I could find them, and you know I was still I, I wasn't working anymore. I wasn't making records. I had in some Nashville, royalties coming in. Methadone? Nashville. I was on methadone for eight years or something. Uh, I was on for four or five. Yes, yeah. it, it was the hardest thing. Kicking methadone. Terrible. You know, I came, I came off methadone and and cocaine in jail. But basically, you know. <laughs> I was on the methadone program in Rossville, Georgia, because you could only, I think 60 milligrams was the max in Tennessee, and they did get 120 in, in Chattanooga, and I I needed 120. Sure so I went, so I, went, I went to Rossville, Georgia. So I was down there and missed my sentencing hearing. Pissed the judge off, so he gave me 11 months and 29 days at 75%, and it ran in the paper the next day that I'd been sentenced. And that I was at large, and there was a warrant out for my arrest. So I I stayed down there for a month or two, and and then finally my lawyer tracked me down to some other people, and he lied to me and told me that look, you can bond out. We just need to go turn you in, and 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 I'll be. And basically, he was in trouble with the judge for his own shit, and uh, having to do with another case. And so he we walked through the door. He said, "Here's Steve Earl turning himself in," and he split, <laughs> and that was. Uh, Thursday, September 12th, 1994. And the next day's Friday, the 13th of September, 1994. And I woke up and that's my clean day. Wow. And, 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 and there was never a relapse. And did you go from there to treatment? I, I did. It was basically the sheriff did not want me dying in her jail. And my blood pressure was getting high because I was detoxing. And I'd been there for a couple of weeks. And she finally hammered the judge and he was insisting he didn't want me going to a treatment center. He wanted me to serve time in orange in jail. Cause he, cause I dissed him. It was a newly minted judge and it had been the district attorney in that part of Tennessee for a long time. But he, um, he like, uh, he saved my life, you know, looking back at it now, but finally he was talked into 
allowing me to go to treatment. I went to a place called Buffalo Valley, which is a very bare bones place in Homewall, Tennessee. And I didn't go there to get clean. I didn't, you know, I had any intention of doing anything, but getting, feeling better and walking away. Now that's being naive on several levels. One is the Homewall police, a lot of us were inmates there because there were programs where you could get out of jail into treatment if you wanted to go. So about half of us in that place were inmates from one jail system in Tennessee or another. But the Homewall police didn't have anything to do except for pick up people that walked out of that treatment center. Right. And they watched it like a hawk. There also was, the joke was, there was an elephant sanctuary, still is there. This woman created a sanctuary for circus and zoo elephants that had been retired or whatever, you know, for them to live out their days in fucking Tennessee. So the right. joke was, if you walked out of Buffalo Valley, that you might run into an elephant. So that, you know, that, that might freak you out and you'd come right back. But I, I, at some point, something happened. And I don't know, I have no spiritual experience at that point that I can identify, except I just decided to work a program and I started taking it seriously. And when I got out, I, I had to go back to jail at the end of it. They couldn't keep me longer. The 28 days was up. They tried to keep me there longer, tried to keep the judge into releasing me. And but the they said, couldn't do it. Nope, you got to go back and do the rest of your time in Orange. So I went back and did a few more weeks. And then they released me in the middle of the night. They told me that it was going to be middle of the day. I'll be middle of the day tomorrow. I was supposed to get out that day, but midnight, bigger than shit, man. You know, I heard the fucking automatic door open and they said, Earl, all the way. And I walked out and all of a sudden I was in the lobby and they gave me my clothes that still stunk because they've been marinating the whole four months. And, and I like, there was $20 in the fucking pocket of my jeans that I'd missed somehow. Because I went and bought a, a rock right before I turned myself. There's a good idea. Let's get paranoid and go to jail. Yeah, that know? sounds so, right. But I made the decision to call a, a friend of mine and come have him come pick me up. And he came pick me up. I didn't even walk out the door because I knew I could have walked four or five blocks and copped out of that jail. Well, that's interesting to me because your whole life you had used. And then you get locked up and, and you don't know what turned the switch in your head that said, I don't, don't know exactly. Do no. And but you did know you were going to play music for the rest of your life. You did know. Well, I didn't. I hadn't had a guitar in 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 four years at that point. You know, I, anything that was that would go to the pawn shop was gone, and I hadn't written anything. Or it, I wrote one. I went to treatment, and I wrote the first thing I wrote was goodbye. And um, when I, I got used to the guitar, they wouldn't let me have the guitar. There was a guitar there, but I wasn't allowed to have it because my my counselor was afraid I'd use it to get over. And he's probably right, but. I was the only person that wasn't allowed to use that guitar when I first got there. And finally, I was allowed to use it, and I wrote goodbye the first time I got my hands on it. Wow. you were the, They wouldn't let you use the guitar for how long? Yeah, it was a special thing for Steve me. Steve Earl Because I used to do it, because I, I did it for a living, and I did it. You know, I, that's, that's, that was my whole identity. They wanted... They wanted to break you down to build you back to up. To me, well, yeah, it was just about... You know, I don't know exactly what he was thinking. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm totally okay with that's what he did. And the first song I wrote when I got home the guitar was Goodbye, and it's still like one of the best songs I've ever written. It's incredible. I just heard you and Lucinda Williams doing it at Wavy Gravy's party. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. The Wavy's birthday is this week, and I'm getting ready to fly out there in a couple of days. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, what were the worst things in that four-year period before you got busted? Like, were you playing shows? Were you no, playing music? No, I wasn't music? doing anything. And, and I, I can remember walking down uh they were shooting a movie unfortunately i think it was river phoenix's last movie and it wasn't very good that movie um was about nashville and about about the bluebird cafe and all that stuff and it was being shot there and they shot some of it in the bluebird but they had a motel in it and they took over 
one of the motels that had been a place where addicts hung out and they just kind of ran everybody out of it and they used it to shoot scenes in the office and stuff. And they built a diner because there was no diner. They wanted all the stuff close. So they built a, an exterior of a diner and put it right on, on Murfreesboro Pike. And I can remember walking down the street and I could see, you know, Webb Wilder, who was in the movie, a friend of mine. And I could see him and several famous people I knew and people that I knew from Nashville that were all on the set of this movie across the street. And I'm walking by and I'm trying to keep my head down so nobody recognizes yeah. me. And then I got to where I was going, which was a bar to buy some Dilaudid's from this guy. And then I realized I was missing both of my front teeth. Right. My hair was in dreads out to here because I'd been basically homeless for a year and a half, two years. And nobody would have recognized me. If they had seen you, they wouldn't have it, known that. They would have known that was me. Yeah. So, so that's probably that, that. That feels like the bottom to me. And when you and when you get out and you're and you're participating, are you working a program immediately? Yeah, I, I haven't. You know, I'm still go to meetings. I still call my sponsor. I sponsor people. My sponsees. It wasn't hard once I got clean. It was not hard to stay clean for a long time. For the, I moved to New York when I had ten years. I've got twenty eight now. And uh, as of this past September, and it wasn't until I had probably, well, John Henry's 13. So John Henry, when he was two, was diagnosed with autism. And right around the same time, his mother and I split up. And then, you know, that was hard. And that created a whole system of stuff where you know, I needed the program worse than I ever did. And, and all of a sudden, the rubber hit the road, you know, and, and, uh, I felt, you know, cause before it was pretty effortless to stay clean. It was way less work than using, you know, and, and it was just, I was coasting, but then it got hard. And, um, somehow I kept doing, going to meetings and sponsoring people and my sponsees are who saved my ass. Cause that's like a lot of times there have been were times during that period and leading up to like three years ago, Justin died. And, and just when you thought things couldn't get any worse and, and of this disease, and a fucking overdose of fentanyl, which is what's happened to everybody I know that relapses now. It happened and, to a bunch of people who listen to our show. It happened to the guy I started the show with. He he overdosed sometimes. Yeah, it's 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 it's. And insane. I'm so sorry about your son. Yeah, it, it's, it's a hard one, and because uh, there's a lot of survivor guilt involved in recovery anyway. And when it's your and when it's your firstborn, it's it's really intense. But John, I have John Henry, and I you know so and I have sponsees. So I like if I use the you know. I, I I can remember times when I really seriously thought about it for the first time after I'd been clean for years and years and years. And then I'd go, well, when I played the tape too, well, I've got this pain in the ass sponsee. And if I, you know, if, right. if, if he, it'll be in the paper, if I relapse and I die and then he'll go see this doesn't work. Right. And he'll go back out there and he'll die. So that's what kept me clean sometimes. So yeah, the program works the way that it does for a reason. The only thing I didn't do that the program suggests I did everything else except for pre and meditate on a day, day in, day out basis. And then all of a sudden, between the time John Henry was diagnosed and the time Justin died, uh, that fixed itself. And it had to do with basically meeting Ram Dass because it was my 60th birthday present from my manager. He took me to a, a retreat in Maui. And I'd read Be Here Now when I was 15, you know, when it came out. And I just, something sort of clicked. Ram Dass had had a stroke 20 years before he died. And there was like, all of men, I wonder what John Henry, who's my son's nonverbal, what he would think if, about Ramdas, what Ramdas would think about John Henry. So I started taking John Henry to Maui every, every Christmas. And, 
you know, Ram Dass fell in love with him and started looking forward to seeing him. So I started, I went every Christmas for the last several years of, of Ram Dass's life. And in that process, I, I originally, because I was, you know, had fallen in a river when I was, I fished with a fly rod and, and I was just bitching about my core strength going. And a friend of mine said, well, you know, I've been practicing the other, I have a guy, I said, well, I want to go to class with a bunch of entitled housewives. And, and he goes, no, he's, I have a guy come to my house and 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 it's a real yoga practice and you know and, and i said well i spend money on stupider things than that so i started studying with a really good teacher that ramdas recommended and now i practice six days a week it's an ashtanga practice and that and then i looked up one day and i had a prayer and meditation system because that's what it really is it's the, the yoga when you yeah, do yoga, the when you yoga do the yoga right prayer and meditation right. that's what it, it's a spiritual system it's not it's not a um, workout program for Entitled Housewives. Entitled Housewives. How did, with Justin, you, he was struggling for a while. He struggled. He got clean once for about three years. And after, how hard was almost, it? After almost dying. He, he struggled with it. He went to treatment for someone. He was 14. You know, and how did you find out he was struggling with it? Oh, he, he was like, you know, I got out of jail and he was 12, you know, and had already started happening because he lived with his mother and, and. And he came to live with me and, you know, stole pot from a house guest of mine that I had to throw out because he brought pot in my fucking house and turned into a big thing. And it was like, you know, it's just he was he 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 was given put on Ritalin when he was eight by okay. the public school system. So I don't think he ever had a chance diagnosed with ADHD. I, I, think, or something. I really think his drug use started then. I really did. And uh, and and when he got clean, were you trying to be? Because you were clean, you knew what you were doing. But I mean, you can't, can't make you can't. Somebody else's right. program, exactly. But I, I encouraged it as much as I could, and he stayed clean for about three years, and then he put himself on the marijuana maintenance program, and then that turned out the way it always turns out. He eventually picked up it. His biggest problem was alcohol because his personality changed so much. He went through a very short thing with opiates. He did not use opiates. He died of an overdose of fentanyl, but it was an innate ball of cocaine that he bought. He drank and did cocaine so he could drink more. That was what his deal was by the time he died. Your record, the JT record, is is so beautiful, and 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 I can imagine that that must have been cathartic for you to it play was, his music. It wasn't any fun, but I felt like I had to do it, and and um, yeah, and then we did a show. We, originally was supposed to be on on his fortieth birthday, but we had to it got delayed a year because we had a bunch of COVID cancellations, so we just moved it to the next year, and we finally did it. What would have been his forty first last last January fourth? Does it make you crazy? to deal with people in recovery when your son died? Is it hard to participate in recovery when your no, son died? No, I needed died? to do it more, so I participated in it more. No, I understand. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can only say how sorry I am for your loss because I am, and uh, I have two daughters, and, you know, they're young. You know, I have a four-year-old and a 13-year-old, right. and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't. And, uh, you don't. And, and while they're young, it's, it, it's you know, you know, you said you told me on the street that John Henry loves to well, swim. You know, it's one of those things I tell people all the time because people call me when they're when their kids get in trouble. And I'm like, hey, I lost one. But, you know, I'll, I, I will tell you this. You can't work somebody else's program and you can't parent an adult. So, you know, well, you also said I heard you say that. Everyone says how unnatural it is to be a parent that loses a child, but that happens. It happens to people. every day. Exactly. So I've tried to avoid the. This is the one thing you're not supposed to do is bury a child. People do it every day. So I, I yeah, I, 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 as soon as it happened to me, it, I think I'm, I, I, I think it was a great gift that I it, that the light went off that I realized that, that that's not a, 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 a thing. 
that it does happen to somebody. It's happening to somebody right now. And I know that there's people that listen to our show that only listen because they're, they've lost their kids. Right. So I know you coming on is service to them. Yeah, it's one of those things. And, and you never give up. You know, I, I, I talked to him the night he died. And he was talking about, you know, I'd say, don't you think it's time to go to treatment again? And he'd like, no, I'm not ready to do that. But he, he didn't hang up on me. And he was starting to let me talk about it a little bit. And that had gradually started happening. I stayed in touch. And I think I really truly believe if he'd stayed alive a few more weeks, hadn't got that hot shot that night, I think he, he might have gotten clean. Whether he would have stayed clean would have been between him and his higher power. But, but I think he was edging towards going back to treatment when he died. He just didn't make it. And, and that, I mean, and you have to live with it, but it's like you did everything you could do. And he- I, I did everything that I, I mean, look, I, 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 I quite frankly only opened that can of worms up so far because my, my kids, my t- two boys, the two older boys wouldn't have known what a crack pipe or a syringe looked like if it wasn't for me. Cause they, they, the two of them, when Ian was only like eight and Justin was, I don't know, like 12 or I guess he was 13. They emptied my paraphernalia drawer in the bathroom thinking that was going to stop me, you know? So, you know, I carried that stuff around forever. They do, they learn more about what they see you do than they do about what you say. They're paying way more attention to that than, than they are to what you say. And it's important to remember that. Do you still carry guilt around that from so long ago? I don't carry guilt around. I deal with it the way that I have to, because I can't afford to carry it around because I'd be toast. But, but, but yeah, it exists. It's there. I, I do feel guilty about that stuff. I just don't, as you say, carry it around. That's not the thing to do. So how do you deal with it? Uh, I go to meetings, call my sponsor. And sponsor you do service. Too. And I, you yeah, do I, service. And I see a therapist too. I've got to see a therapist once a week. Yeah. One time I harassed you right up to the door of your therapist yeah, office. Right, right, yeah. I remember I a do. golden plaque on the door. Yeah. One, once a week, once a week still for years now. Well, listen, I, I, I know it's very hard to talk about and I appreciate you talking about it. And I appreciate no, it's probably the most important thing to talk about in this situation, but. That's yeah. what I was thinking too, you yep. know, and yep. uh, and I appreciate your time. And if I see you on the street, I'll ask you to come back on the show. Okay. So All look right. forward to that. Okay. It may take you another several years, but we'll see what happens. That's totally fair. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Man, so um, crazy. Such an honor to have Steve Earl on Dopey. Such a hard topic of conversation. And uh, I really, really, really appreciate him coming on the show and sharing his recovery and sharing his grief uh, for his son. It's, it's just one of those realities when we deal with addiction, as we know, as, as I'm sure a lot of you guys have lost people in addiction and, and you guys know that I've lost people in addiction. And as a community, uh, we stick together, but loss is very hard. And Steve Earl is just a major league. So to have him on the show is a, is an honor, an honor and a half. And I hope he comes back because there are a lot of other things I would love to talk to him about. I'm going to set up a petition to get Steve Earl to DopeyCon. I would love to see that happen. Who would you guys like to see at DopeyCon? Write uh, an email or send in a voicemail. DopeyCon dream wish list to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. It is October 7th, DopeyCon. It is in New York City. It will be in the afternoon on October 7th in Chelsea on 29th Street. 
28th Street. 28th Street and 9th Avenue. Come if you can. Tickets will be available soon. Very, very, very soon. Also, I'm going back to the Park City Song Summit first week in September. It's going to be amazing. If you can go to Utah, Park City, go to the Park City Song Summit. There's a chance I'll be talking with Chuck D and DMC and DJ Red Alert there. It's possible. Also, Bob Weir is going to be there. So maybe I can make a formal amends to Bob Weir, which would be very, very exciting. Now, I don't know. I think a lot of people miss our next guest. Some people call him Steven. I call him Ray, the godfather of the G-Folk movement for all the original dopey OGs out there. Here we go, Ray Brown. But wait, before we get to uh, to Ray, to Ray Brown, the great Ray Brown, I, I have to explain something. Because within five seconds of starting the Ray Brown talk, Fentanyl J calls in. And he gives some cryptic information. And I have to warn you guys, you're not going to find out what the fuck is going on with Fentanyl J this episode. It's not going to happen. You're going to hear him. And he's going to say some shit, and then he's going to disappear, and he's not going to come back this episode. I think we're going to have him next week, though. So stick around if you need, you know, some kind of closure slash update on Fentanyl J. But now, Ray Brown. Dope a dope Dope a all right, so me and Ray are sitting. Oh shit, it's Fentanyl J calling in. Let's see. Yo. What happened? Oh, you know, just went there. They released me on my own recovery. Fuck him. He got a packet of discovery, meaning like he got the evidence again. He's got to go back and look at it now. But uh, so there's a video. But there can't be a video of me kicking the car because I didn't do it. You know. Oh, they said you kicked the car. They said I kicked it and I and I uh, damaged it. What time do you think you're gonna go get hammered tonight? Uh, fuck, probably later seven. That's too. That's no good. I, I get off the train at six. 50. Okay, so maybe seven thirty. <laughs> All right, you want you want to meet me then? No, right, yeah, that's perfect. All right, cool. All I'll right. call you when I get you, off the train. You just walk from the train, right? Yes, but I'll come yeah. get you. I'll come get you. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Later. Later. All right. That was uh, Fentanyl What's J. What's happening? Well, we'll find out on this week's episode of Dopey. There's a lot of bad stuff that's happening. That sounded that. bad. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. So me and Ray are sitting in Madison Square Park. And uh, Ray used to work nearby. And my greatest memories of Madison Square Park are from the late 90s, where I had a job hanging up Broadway posters in windows. And me and my little crew would come here at 7 in the morning and smoke blunt after blunt after blunt. Then we would take the posters and half of the crew would put them in the sewer. And I would just say, just don't put them in the sewer. <laughs> don't and put them all in the sewer. No, we would we would smoke weed here every day. And that's before weed was legal, obviously. Yeah. So, Ray this, Brown. This used to be a, 
hardcore druggy park. This is where you came to buy pills. Did you ever buy pills in this park? No, I never bought pills. But you, I wouldn't walk through this park. I would walk around it. Because if you entered the park, that was saying, I want pills. Like, you, did, you didn't come in here for any other reason. And I, look at it now. Look at this fucking Describe park. it. It's bucolic. No, what, is, Sunday, what does bucolic mean? Sunday in the park with George. It is, it is wealthy and poor people alike enjoying. I would say 95% wealthy. Well, I'm sure there's 95. Well, this guy isn't. Well, there's there's um, uh, Chelsea Clinton's apartment right there. How do you know? Because she looks, it's her, J-Lo, and a NASCAR driver live in a three-story building there. How do you know? Their apartments are one block long. Because I saw Hillary in front. How do you know where every wealthy person in Manhattan lives? in the news You know where day. Sean Lennon lives. You're like, Rupert Murdoch lives on the right. <laughs> Chelsea Clinton lives on the left. Chelsea Clinton's apartment is one block long. That dog looks pretty well Yikes. off, too. Yeah. So, so, Ray, what's been going on with you? Uh, I've been up in the country. No, thank you. Um, I've been up in the country. I'm putting in a loose stone patio. Hardcore yeah. religious. Uh, yeah. What do you call that? Religious, religious solicitation. So this morning, right? Yeah. I, uh, I'm getting on the train and I sit down with this woman in a four seater and she starts to tell me that she's got 60 days clean. Just out of the blue. I think she looked into your eyes. I know. I think she uh, she had a big tattoo here, like a, a, on her a upper chest. And it that, said one day at a time. No, it said Dylan. And I was like, are you a big Bob Dylan fan? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I think she had a son named right, Dylan. Right, right. There's a lot of sons named Dylan. And we talked all. Do you think she named the son? She, she's yes. like, my favorite song is The Times They Are a Changing. Wait, I wonder if there's people who named their kid Dylan that don't know who Dylan is. Well, no, they named their kid Dylan, I think, after Dylan on 90210. Oh, right. Is that possible? Like, yes. why? Is, or right. they definitely don't name him after Dylan Thomas. Well, at this point, there's people naming their kid Dylan that have no idea who Bob Dylan is. All right, here we go. Yeah. I'm going to read you an email I got. Greetings and salutation, Dave. Just sharing my story in case it will help other Dopey Nation folks currently struggling with the relapse and out dancing in the streets, doing more research. And there's no G on dancing or doing. That's because they're men of, the, men of the people. I'm nearing 40 and struggling with addiction for the better part of two decades. Mainly alcohol and cocaine, but eventually MDMA, LSD, mushrooms, ketamine, and nitrous. I consider myself lucky that opiates were never really my jam and never desired to touch meth. As my normie friends stopped partying, got married, had kids, I found myself alone, increasingly in need of a new social circle, and then I discovered the jam band scene. I became a huge deadhead and fish fan. Wait, to get away from drugs, she joined the jam band scene? No, because he didn't have any friends left. Uh, I started going to music festivals and found like-minded souls who loved getting fucked up to noodly 20-minute guitar solos while, while gobbling psychedelics in the name of consciousness exploration. This went on for years until the pandemic hit. And like many suffering addicts facing isolation and quarantine, COVID broke me on every level, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. My usage got worse, but I had no fellow hippies or wooks, wooks to share. You know about wooks? I've... It's a deadhead, right? A wook is a hippie named after a wookie, which oh, is Chewbacca's yes. race. <laughs> just so you know. Uh, I had no no fellow hippies or wooks to share the spiral 
with. I was just a burnt-out hippie alone in his apartment, sucking down booze and hundreds of whippet chargers a day. Nice. (laughs) In summer 2020, I experienced a psychotic break after a particularly bad nitrous bench. (laughs) In that insanity, I felt in communion with spirits from the other side, and that if I absorbed all the world's darkness, I could save the entire planet from COVID, and everyone would wake up from it like a bad dream. I ended up running around my nice suburban neighborhood naked and raving, (laughs) throwing myself off a pier into less than a foot of rocky water. (laughs) It's a miracle. Wait, did he want to share the message of whippets with the world? I don't know. Yeah, that was his breakthrough, was through Whippets. You think he could save the entire planet from COVID by, by yes. doing... I don't think it was Whippets. I think he had a he had a, uh, some sort of idea. You think it was Whippets? Uh, whippets inspired. Have you ever done Whippets? Years ago. Yeah. I, I don't I, I don't I remember, didn't like it. I don't remember really... And I love nitrous. I don't remember Whippets hitting me in a way that I really enjoy. Hi. People are really interested in me today. <laughs> yes. Tell, tell Dopey Nation about the lady the at the coffee shop. The ladies are after Dave. It's amazing. It's quite a day. It's quite what a. Did re- she say, I like your hat? Her, who? The first lady. I don't know. Who knows what she said? Oh. But it's like, I haven't gotten this much she attention was Italian. in years. <laughs> anyway, okay. I ended up running around my nice suburban neighborhood naked and raving, throwing myself off a pier into less than a foot of rocky water. It's a miracle I didn't break my neck. The police and EMTs finished me. Fish me out of the water like a bass out of hell. <laughs> like a bass out of hell. After the ER confirmed no serious damage, just a couple of scrapes, I was 5150 to the local public psych ward. Still not sure where I was in time or space while doing arts and crafts. The nurses played soft, gentle music <laughs> like an Enya concert. Not a fan of these vibes. I walked up and asked, Y'all got any Grateful Dead? <laughs> the psych ward does not carry any dead or other heady jams. Only Anya. <laughs> just FYI. Anyway, I wish I could say this was my only 5150, but I continued using and ending up with three or four more visits to the land of grippy socks and no belts until 2022. Finally, after cracking through emotional bottom after bottom, I went to an AA meeting. I'd been in 12-step rooms in the past, but always for other people. This time it was for me. And I got sincere. I got a sponsor, followed the steps, and got about six months clean. But I could never get a grip on the emotional sobriety part. I still felt crazier than a shithouse rat, despite no drugs in my system. I don't think that phrase is uttered nearly enough. Crazier I've never than heard a, that. Crazier than a shithouse rat. I used to say that all the time. My brain had turned into mashed potatoes <laughs> from all the huffling, huffing oily gunk oh. and metal specks from a filthy nitrous canister. I love this email, by the way. Yeah. I started going to shows and festivals sober and found like-minded sober addicts among the yellow balloons. That's Wharf Rats, Wharf Rats and yeah. Fish Fellowship, etc. Do you know the guy who started Wharf Rats is this crazy anti-Semite? Who really? thinks like Jews run the, the, all the everything really? and like fucking doesn't believe he's a flat like, earther. He's a crazy person. Wow. I know. We'll have to look that up in a second. And anyone who finds that to not Hi. be true, please Hi. send it. We're the wharf rats. No, I think he hates Jews. But do you remember the commercial? No. It was on whatever our rock station was. It was like, hi, we're the wharf rats. We meet every, every. Uh, Dead show. Yeah. We no. meet in the middle. No, I don't know all about it. But uh, 
if anyone out there knows that the guy who started, his name is Grateful Phil or Grateful <laughs> Don or something. I think it's Grateful Don. If you know of Grateful Don that he's not an anti-Semite or conspiracy theorist, please send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Save his, his image. Anyway, here we go. But because of this anxiety, fear, and emotional wreckage, I constantly decided to relapse last... Oh, I consciously decided... Constantly. (laughs) Consciously decided to relapse last fall. Thankfully, stayed away from that nasty gas. It's amazing how much I like... I'm looking looking for a dentist that will just give me nitrous for a cleaning. It's like, that's all I want. But anyway, let me keep going. You said you didn't even like it. Nitrous? Yeah. I love oh, you it. you love nitrous. Okay. Love it. Whippets, I never really enjoyed that much, but maybe they're the same thing. I thought they were the same thing. Nitrous is a constant flow. Oh. And with headphones on, oh. lean back in the chair of the <laughs> dentist. I love it. Anyway, just stuck to a bottle of vodka and a 12-pack fortified vodka. I and hear you. Just stuck to a <laughs> bottle of vodka and a 12-pack a day with the occasional Bolivian Bam Bam for some pep. No big deal. Right? Editor's note. He oh, was yeah. not right. This right. guy is like an amazing email writer. <laughs> but those yellow balloons ended up being my saving grace. They made me feel down to the subatomic level of my being there was a place for me on the path to recovery. They weren't just jaded old booze hounds. These were folks who understood eating a 10-strip loop-de-looping around the universe and making it back to Earth. I joined a random Zoom meeting one night while ham bones... And found the love and support again from strangers that I could not give myself. No shame or guilt or judgment. So I'm diving headfirst back into the program. I'm coming up on 30 days. Have a great new sponsor. I met at a festival. It's like, how did he find Dopey, though? Is he going to get to Dopey? I'm tired of him jerking off all these fucking hippies. Uh, I'm coming up on my... uh, And I'm experiencing... Okay, I'm coming up on 30 days and have a great new sponsor. I met at a festival meeting. And I'm experiencing that serenity like a motherfucker who's smiling sober addicts can't seem to shut up about. It feels good to feel good organically. Sans chemicals. We do recover. Is it just a pink cloud? I don't know. Don't really care. Oh, that's a, a Grateful Dead lyric. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Don't really care. Oh, but let our addict songs fill the air. Jesus Christ. I'm sharing this in case someone else's bottom is out in the cold, dark void of space like mine. There, mine was, there is hope. Holy shit, this is long. The light of your soul cannot be dimmed no matter how many times you try to stomp it out through self-destruction. I think that's a Grateful Dead lyric. Is it? No. <laughs> Even when I felt cold and alone and spiritually bankrupt, something greater than myself was holding my soul safe for me. Like a dear friend taking a blackout drunk's car keys, my higher power did what it had to do until I was ready to feel sunshine in my heart again. AA, NA, yellow balloon groups, Dharma recovery, smart recovery, whatever. Just know you don't have to go alone. Strangers in recovery love you. I love you. Those we've lost along the way love you from the other side and don't want anyone following the same fate. All good things in all good time, one show at a time. <laughs> the compass always points to Terrapin. Thanks for everything you do, Dave, and toodles for Chris. Floozy. Please share my lot name and not my real name. What was Floozy? That's his name, Floozy. That's his lot name. Oh, I see. Thanks, Floozy. Any thoughts about this, Ray? I remember somebody passing me a balloon at a dead show. Uh And it it was, no, it was not passed to me. It was passed all around me. And I was like, I want to try that, but it never came to me. 
So you never did a balloon at a show? No. Oh, man. I was one of the, like, when they call it hippie crack, I was one of the people lined up. With your tongue out. Well, no, no. I would just spend every dollar on balloons. How much can you spend? Like $100? Yeah, you could spend $100. And is that not a lot? I mean, I think that's a lot to spend on balloons. I think they sold really big ones, $10 each. So you'd have to do 10 balloons. But it only lasts as long as the balloon lasts. Right. And do people sometimes let the balloon go and it goes up into the air? No. no. That's sacrilege. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's happened. It never happened to me. I remember the first time I did nitrous. It was in Ithaca at a house party. And what I remember is I was very young. Yeah. I was probably 18. I think I was just experiencing my first hippie oats. And at the party, I was smoking a ton of weed, and I heard the door song, Peace Frog, for the first time. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And then outside, they had a nitrous tank. And I remember we all did balloons, and I fell down laughing. <laughs> and I feel like I rolled in the dirt with Todd and DK. And uh, it was tremendous. I was talking to you this weekend about, I, w- I wish or I wonder what would have happened to me if I'd never heard that there's cool music that they don't play on the radio. And then I got sucked into the rock and roll drug world. Well, you, I thought we thought it was going to be a good trajectory for your life. You would have become a, a farmer. Yeah. If I had not discovered, if I had just continued to listen to Paul McCartney, maybe I would have like had a more stable life. I don't think so. <laughs> I think once you started blowing your teacher, it was all over. <laughs> I think it was all over for you once, once that had happened, right? That was the beginning of the end. <laughs> then you were washing yourself in your clothes and all bets were off. When was the first time you took a shower in your clothes? Just for old times sake, I don't, right? 30 years ago. And when's the last time you did it? I, this, morning, this morning. I got one yesterday. <laughs> no, I did wash my clothes out in the sink like the other day, yesterday. Do you ever do you ever do you ever do the the shower with the clothes just for old times? Yeah, I do. You're that. a liar. I do. You've never done it. I he do only it. did it for a dopey video no, years ago. Years ago. And well, you know what's gross? I've discovered now because I would I would be showering and but the tub is filling up and I'd be stomping on them as I undressed. But then I started just getting in the bathtub with them. But then the water is all dirty from your dirty clothes. So now I just wash them and then I take a bath separately. How often do you sit in the tub? Do I take a bath? A bath bath. Every day. No, you don't. I do too. You're a fucking liar. I never take a shower. This is this is why you struggle with your recovery so much. You're constitutionally incapable. I took a pop bath this morning. You're a liar. I took two baths today. <laughs> I took one when I got you're to 14th Street. You're such a liar. You took two baths. I took one this morning. And I took one last night because I thought I had ticks all over you're me. You're a fucking liar. You took three baths in the last 12 hours? Is that true? When, when I got to the house, I literally walked from the car down into the yard, looked around, came back into the house. I had two giant dog ticks on my hairy legs. And dog like, ticks or deer ticks? Not deer ticks, dog ticks. How do you know? Because they're big. Deer ticks and they were hairy? They were dog Did ticks. you burn them off? I, they hadn't bit me yet. And I took them outside and I smashed them. Nice. That's how you do it. But I'm like, I've been here 10 seconds. I have two ticks on me. I'm not into this. And then I didn't get any more. So am I really to believe that you take a bath every day? Yeah, that's unless I'm You're at a place a where there's no bath. Liar. How do you no. fucking lie like a cheap rug? Oh my god. Why don't you believe I take a bath? Do you usually ba- bathe at night or in the morning? In the morning. Bubbles? Yes. You're a liar. I, I don't believe I don't, I don't believe a word of it. <laughs> you want me to tell you a really fucked up uh, it's not a fucked up story. Yeah. Do you want to hear Is a story? Patreon or regular? I don't know. Do you want to hear a story? <laughs> yes. Okay. So, weeks ago, 
Yeah. I hurt my foot. Yeah. And it hurt bad. Yeah. You know, as you know, I have time timely bouts with gout. Right. And I, you know, I, but is it gout or is it tendinitis? Who knows? Or is it, um, uh, what? what's the other one? The Achilles heel. A plantar fasciitis. Plantar fasciitis, yeah. No, so I go, I, Linda's always yelling at me that. Uh, Did you get some Epsom salts? No, she's always, she uses Epsom salts, but she's always yelling at me that my sneakers aren't good enough, that I don't have good enough sneakers. So I need to go to the running store yeah. in Sayville where they have a machine that you step on and it, and it cleans. No, it doesn't clean. It scans your feet and it tells you what kind of shoe you're supposed to oh. have and where you step and oh. what kind of arch yeah. you need. So I, I want to go to that machine. So I go down there and I'm not feeling good. And it's kind of like the end of the cold days yeah. and the beginning of the warm days. And I'm wearing a jacket that I shouldn't wear anymore. Yeah. Cause it's got like fuzz on the sleeve and it makes me look like I might live in this park if it wasn't right, so right, bucolic. Right. And I walk and I'm feeling like a little methadone because I'm limping and I'm wearing this kind of dirty jacket kind of thing. And the guys that work there are like your fantasy guys, like young runners. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm like, hey, I'm like, I, <laughs> I need wanna, I wanna get my feet. Tested. Yeah, I need, yeah, that's exactly what I said. I said, I need to get my feet tested. And uh, they're like, OK. And I'm not and I'm, I'm wearing thick socks. And I'm like, I'm like. I, I can't wear these socks though; they're too thick. Yeah, and I'm like, gonna get barefoot. No, they're like, they're like, oh no! So I, yeah, so I get on the machine with the thick socks, and the machine says nothing. The machine is yeah. to a total hoax, total bullshit. Yeah. And they take out a pair of sneakers, and they measure my feet, and it turns out I'm a size bigger than I'd always thought I was. I'm a 14, and maybe I've been in denial. Maybe that's why you're always so I know, I, and, <laughs> and I got foot pain all the time. So it turns out that my foot is a size bigger than I had thought this whole time. That's big. 14 is big. I know. You know what they say, too. <laughs> but so fucking, I'm like, I'm like, listen, if I'm trying on shoes, I can't be wearing these ridiculously thick socks. I need a pair of socks. And the guy looks at me like I'm asking for fucking loner socks. <laughs> I'm like, dude, fucking, I have money. Are you right. crazy? I'm like, give me some socks. And he, he's like, he's like, here. And I go, here, take them. Here. No, no, he takes he, <laughs> he takes, he takes a pair of socks and gives it to me. This is some fucking fancy socks. And I'm like, wait a second. I said, how much are these socks? He says, $18. <laughs> I said, what? I said, these socks are $18? He goes, yeah. I said, do you have any less expensive socks? And he goes, well, we have $15 socks. I was like, give me the 15 Give me the 15. Do you have any $3 socks? No, it's, he gives me a pair of $15 socks. I put them on and I start trying on sneakers. No, they're all ugly. And, and, and Grant, you know, I think they're your not, sneakers look good. Yeah. That's, that's how <laughs> ugly these fucking sneakers are. They're like new sneakers, yeah. super slick. I'm like, I, and I said to the guy, and I'm like a fucking methadone addict in the yeah. fucking runner store. I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, listen, man. I'm old school. I can't be wearing these new school running shoes. Yeah. And he looks at me like, you're fucking crazy. Yeah. So this the shoes don't fit. And he's like, I can order. He goes, I can order you 14s. And I said, um, I said, all right, well, how long would it take for them to come? And he goes, a week. And he starts typing into the computer. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> well, no. no. I'm like, no, I'm like, no, no, no. I'll go shop around. The shoes were 150 bucks. Yeah, I'll go to the outlet. I said, I'll go shop around. And I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave. You know, and I put my shoes on and I start to leave. And I'm limping out of the store. <laughs> and, I, and I limp two blocks away when I realize 
I'm still wearing the $18 socks. <laughs> you stole the socks. And I'm like. You stole the car. You stole the socks. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, what car did I steal? The car from the Mexican restaurant. Oh, right. No, no, no. <laughs> so I'm like, fuck. And he, I was all methadone and weird. I was like, I got to go back. Were you taking NyQuil? No, I was just like, I, I was hurt. My feet hurt. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't feeling good. So I'm like, I'm not stealing these fucking socks. I'm way too sober to yeah. be stealing these fucking socks. So I limp back to the shoe store and I take them off my feet and I throw them in the guy's <laughs> face. I want these and either. I said, fuck you. No, I paid him. I paid for the yeah. socks. And he thanked me. Well, he, like I was sometimes the biggest, they have to pay. Right. Like I was the biggest crackhead in the world doing him a favor yeah. by paying for the socks. What do you think of that story? Nice. Good thing you remembered. To pay? Yeah. Well, the socks were so flashy. Yeah. They were so uncomfortable on my feet. But I'm not buying 14s. I'm staying with 13s. 13 New Balances fit okay. 13 Saucony's don't. Well, they're, they're all different. What have you taken from this story, Ray Brown? Uh, I have gigantic feet. You, you gi- bathe every day. Yep. Hippies big, are big, called wooks. Big feet, big shoes. What else? Um, I need some new shoes. I don't know. They still kind of. Sh- Have you been wearing those shoes every day? I've worn these are my only pair of shoes. How do they look so good? I don't know. Do you remember in the eighties when people would put um, like checkers shoe polish on them? No, like I white shoe polish. No, I don't remember that. Like, you see kids on the train. They're like shoe polishing their their white sneakers. Oh, that's what Nora does. Nora yeah. has me cleaning her shoes all the fucking time. It's a thing with like kids in New York. When where I was growing up, nobody ever cared about our sneakers or our clothes. Nobody ever. We didn't even know what clothes were. You I mean, were you I were mean, sacks. You were burlap sacks. No, we didn't know there was no status to no, anything. But you you were a punk rock teacher blowing weirdo. <laughs> no, every like every boy wore jeans and a flannel shirt through my entire school. I career. know, but this is a different this this is the twenty first century, yeah. Ray Brown. Wake up and smell the coffee. Thank you for coming on. Has this been fun for you? Nice to be in the park. Thank you to the Wookiee guy, Floozy. And uh you know who was on the show this week? Who? Steve Earl. Really? You you missed it. You'll hear it. Maybe you'll hear it tomorrow when the show comes Wait, out. Wait, it was, it was. Oh, okay. Today's Thursday. No, today's actually Wednesday, right, Brown? Is it? Yes. Oh shit. So maybe you'll hear it on Friday, <laughs> or maybe bath Friday will be bath day. Biggest, and you can listen in the my tub. biggest fan, Steve Earl. All right. Well, there you go. Thank you, Ray. Oh yeah, tell the Dopey Nation why Steve Earl is your biggest fan before we go. Because I played a show with him and we met coming around the corner. He's like, I like your song. Nice. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Thank you. So there he is. The great Ray Brown. I forgot to ask him what's going on with his love life, if there's any, uh, you know, civil servants in his life, any 69ing, any throupling. Who knows what's going on with Ray Brown? We'll have to find out next time. And I know everybody's dying to know what the fuck is happening with uh, Fentanyl J, me included. And we we will that should uh, unfold quickly. God willing, next week we'll have Jay back on the show and he can explain what the fuck is going on. He told me Memorial Day is the next time he's going to try to stop drinking. So it'll be after Memorial Day. Oh, shit, next week is also my birthday. If anyone is really, you know, dying to celebrate me, my birthday is next week. And also the dopey Patreon Zoom is going to be on May 31st, which is a Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So come to the Dopey Patreon Zoom, celebrate my birthday, and that's my actual birthday. No 
not my sober birthday, like they say in California. Oh, happy birthday, birthday. It's not your birthday. It's your fucking anniversary. It's not a birthday. It's an anniversary. Your birthday is the day you're born. You're all reborn in AA. Fucking weird. I don't know. I don't like that stuff. No offense to anybody in California. Also, if you're looking for a recovery place to go, go to the Dopey Zoom. Dopey Zoom, fucking seven days a week, 26 meetings a week. Go to our Instagram and you will see, here we go, the address for the Dopey Nation Zoom is 804-300-586. The password is always lowercase toodles. Here's my dad. All right. So I'm in the kitchen with my dad. And I'm in the other room, and I and I hear here play the horrible song you were listening to, Dad. It's not a play the song you were, let, let them hear let them hear the song that you were. My dad's just hanging out listening to this. Hit it, hit it. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen. Do you hang out and listen to this a lot, Dad? This is for school. I'm I'm gonna play this in school. This is but this is the periodic table of the elements. This is what you call education. To the tune I am the very model of a modernary modern what is I am the very modern of a modern major general. Model. I am the very Just stop the music. (laughs) Oh my god. It's fucking horrible. It's wonderful. You, so you, that's my, exactly my point. You think it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to play it for students in school. Here, hit it again. Not from the beginning, from where we were. Of course. There's 114 elements or more. So uh, over the weekend, what did you come out for over the weekend? Oh, it was Susan's fifth birthday party. And uh, and we had we had family at the house and my dad sat outside on his phone the whole time. I did not. It was despicable. <laughs> Deplorable. You're so bored, you think you should be on the phone when we're entertaining your family? For shame. I was playing with my grandchildren. I don't remember that part. Were they playing nephew. words were they playing words with friends on the other end of your phone? No. Shameful. If we were there for an hour, I think 45 minutes, you were on the phone. Not true, Dopey Nation. Unbelievable. <laughs> He's terrible. Anyway, we got a lot to talk about, Dad. How you been? I'm good. What are you looking at? You want me to find the reviews, don't you? Do you want to start with the reviews, or do you want to talk about how disgusted you are with the level of criminality on the old Dopey show these days? Well... What I'm trying to get David to consider is after he has all these guests telling about all these horrible things they did, that they should maybe talk about the good stuff now, and that and that and it wasn't that funny, you know, when they did it in the first place. So give me an example: robbing, uh, you know, taking out guns and pointing them at people. I mean, this is so you're hung stuff. up on the fentanyl J robbery story. No, there was this other other guys. This, the, the Richie guy last week also. What did he? Would he pull that gun on somebody? Well, you no, know, he sold guns to, to drug dealers. He well, stole so, guns and sold them. Listen, people need to buy guns, Dad, and drug <laughs> drug addicts need money. No, no, this is at least when you're sober, you should say something good about that and not go back to the horrible stuff. All right, so Dad, imagine for a second. You're a horrible drug addict, right? Yes. And when you were using drugs, you were selling guns for money, 
Okay. Are you with me? I'm not really. No. So now you're on Dopey. Yes. And you've told the story of selling guns to get money for drugs. What do you say now? How horrible that was. What a terrible thing it was <laughs> that I did that. And now that I'm sober, I feel so much better. So do you think you, th- you, think you would feel better if these heinous criminals that were on the show said that after they said some horrible stuff? Absolutely, yeah. I would feel and you better. would say instead... Oh, this guy, he's got it together now, yes. and he was so horrible. Now, now you got it. Yes. That's what you want to hear. Yes, yes. All right, Dopey Nation, is that what you guys want to hear? And what would you do if your elderly father was at a party outside of your house and was on the phone the whole time? Would you shame him at the party or later on your podcast? When would you decide to shame your no-good elderly father? <laughs> he's so full of baloney. <laughs> Dopey Nation, please write in an email. Dad, do you want to do reviews or do you have any other criticism of the show? Or do you want to prognosticate oh, the big ten, thing? 10 million downloads. Would you like to prognosticate? All right, so that's 9.6, 200,000 a month. That's 9.8 in uh, June, um, 10 in July. July 27th. So my father at 11 says. 11 o'clock in the morning. 11 o'clock in the morning, July 27th, my dad says we hit the 10. Oh, wait a minute. I'm off. I think it was, is it 9.6 now? 9.6. Yeah. All right. I'll stick with July 27th. Now, I want to say something that I think is interesting. You ever meet people, right? And they talk about their parents, right? And they say, oh, mom's not doing well, or mom is making me crazy. Or they say, whatever the mother's name is, Elena. Blah, 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 blah. I never call you Alan to people. I say, my dad this, my dad that, my father this, yeah. my father that. <laughs> yes. And you, I don't think you ever said dad this or dad. You said my father, my dad. Yes. Have you ever referred to him by his name? No. Never. Well, no. Never. I, well, of course, I have to sometimes. No, I, I you say mean, his name was Max. Yeah. But you never, you never would talk about a dad this, dad that. What do you have an opinion about that? When people say, when they're saying, "Oh, dad's not doing so good," does that bother you? Bothers me when you make up stories about Please. me that it's not true. You like wish. Being on the phone that with my grandchildren. I'm going to set up cameras next time, <laughs> Dopey Nation, so I can post it on Patreon. My dad's deplorable. <laughs> behavior all right move on you want to hear something really interesting though dad you ready for this yes you're gonna like this i bet you and you respond to this story with you're kidding me you ready all right i'm ready i'm on sixth avenue and 17th street i walked down to paragon to buy nora new goggles but it was close so i start walking back and i have to go to uh b and h to buy uh a new computer charger because Howie lost. I don't know what you do with mine. It's gone. So on my way, somebody stops me on the street and says, I love the show. It got me into recovery. Wow. You're kidding. <laughs> First time that ever happened. Amazing. First time. Really? First time. So was this who did you get his name? His name or? is Jim. Nice. Jim's got a hundred something days and he credits it all to you. And no, to Dopey. No. Jim's doing good. It was a remarkable moment. Isn't it? Wow. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, yes, it, it's about time that somebody I know. recognized somebody. <laughs> you know, Ray used to only wear his Dopey shirt and walk walk around the city <laughs> hoping someone would say, you're Ray from Dopey. And it never happened. And and I wasn't, 
I was wearing my Park City Song Summit hoodie oh. and my Oyve shirt underneath, but they didn't see the Oyve shirt. But they must have recognized your face. They recognized my face, I think, probably from dopey social media. But yeah, So maybe. shout out to Jim. Hooray. And, yeah. and shout out to Fentanyl J, wherever he is. Now, would you like to read uh, a review? Uh, okay, let's see what we got here. Oh, but this is the one. All right. An iPod email for Alan by vice president of something. Of what? Of the HOA. Housing Homeowners Association. I, I wonder think, if they're from the lake. No, no, no. Vice, oh, vice president of the Homeowners Association. Oh, that's cool. All right, listening to the BBC interview and Alan called a review an iPod email and it made my day. So I had to write one. The most beautiful show about the unedited specifics of love and growing as people. The BBC interview was a thousand years ago, wasn't it? I know, and you're still confusing <laughs> yes, reviews, no emails, and Facebook I posts. I have no clue. Yeah. How do you not know that this is not an email? Uh, it looks just like as my emails would look. <laughs> You want to read another one, or are you good? Uh, makes my heart smile. Amazing. 1942. Talking to the mic, Diane, please. Right oh, here my in front of God. my mouth. Uh, uh, by 1942, money, money, money. Can uh, you read that like you care? Read it like you don't even care. Well, she didn't. 1942, here, money, money, money. What? This is a review from 1942, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign, question mark. It's called... Makes my heart smile, in quotes, amazing. Well, you really should be a, a podcast host. Just read the <laughs> fucking review, please. Yeah, and you say that word too often, too. I absolutely love love as a former H.J. Heroin junkie. I appreciate... Did you know that H.J. was heroin junkie? No. I appreciate and love that there is this outlet community family whatever you want to call it we all have done some pretty crazy funny do you stunts. think this guy pulled a gun on anyone or sold I, a gun for heroin i have i have no doubt. what does that sound that's my phone funny stunts in our day keep it up dave i love the show and i highly recommend it to all with hearts at the end very nice okay. now we need to know how is seymour doing Seymour's good. He's heading off uh, to he's heading off to Europe this week or next week actually. What is he doing in Europe? Oh, his uh, um, uh, a baby is being born to to, to uh, Myra, to uh, his significant other's daughter. He's daughter. having a baby girl. Yes. Okay, so Seymour's where where in Europe? Vienna, Austria. Wow. And is Seymour planning uh, what's going on with the future of fantasy basketball oh, well, on the Seam Al League? Well, we are. Hoping is it Al Seam or Seam Al? Seam Al. Yes. Uh, Do you want to change that for next season? No, no, no. I'm a co-commissioner. Who's in charge of doing what nothing. shenanigans do you suspect Seymour will be up to next season? Nothing. This is up. It's on the up and up. Everything is per perfectly kosher. It's legal and very, very good. And you finished fourth, which is a major, major big deal. Ugh. And we're, we're I'm hoping, not playing. We're hoping I'm not. that you're in. <laughs> Why? You're back because it's fun to have you. Oh, God. All right. Well, I think I think your time on the show is over. Do you have anything else you want to add before you go? No, I just want to tell everybody to stay healthy out there. Oh, you want to talk about the DopeyCon and the foundation? Why don't you Why don't you talk about the Dopey Foundation or your hopes for DopeyCon? 
Well, I, I, I hope uh, that everybody is, is well and, and able to come. And the Dopey Foundation, Dave, you're saying you're sending out Narcan? What are you sending We're out? sending out Narcan and fentanyl test strips. You know, your, your niece, Ivy, has been hawking me a Chinik. Is that the expression? Excellent, excellent. To get some Narcan. You know Narcan. what it actually means? I, Mom used to always say it to me, stop hawking me a Chinik. And I always she thought she was saying, stop hawking me to China. No, it, it's a Yiddish expression, which means stop bothering me, but it really means breaking breaking dishes. Oh, and the Chinik is like China dishes. Yeah. So what is the, how do you ex, how do you explain the linguistics of that? It's, 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 Why don't you think that you have to talk into the mic? Because, Why do you think if you right hold the mic next to your head, it's going to be as good? It's right next to me. Oh, it's right here. Right. Like, what, what about, Jesus, what about help uh, me. my niece Ivy? Jesus, please help me. Oh. Jesus. Um, Ivy needs Narcan for her, the students that she's caring for in, in camp. So oh, I, right. I, she keeps hawking me a China to You're remember so to send it. So I send keep it. forgetting to send well, it. Well, send it. Send it. Very important. And what are your expectations for DopeyCon? When do you think I should put tickets on sale? I have no idea, but it's only only room for 200, as far as I can figure. I think we could get extra chairs. You could if, if the demand is there. Well, there's a lot of people that listen, so you'd think we could sell 200 tickets. Well, hopefully. Yes. Why do you think you don't have to talk into the mic? I am talking like to this. the mic. I'm not there. Dude, does this look right? The Dopey Nation, right? <laughs> Nation will know that I'm talking into the mic. All right. This has been one of your greatest appearances. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Just everybody out there, just stay healthy and, and be wise. Be wise. Now, Dad, uh, last week I had the honor of moderating a big time Q and A at the film forum. Yeah. And I and I had and you saw I had a, a discussion with the the director of the movie Stay Awake and one of the stars, Chrissy Metz, which I posted on Patreon. Correct, yes. Did you notice how they kinda felt like recovery is temporary? Like it was like it, it was a really kind of weird thing for me to talk to the, to non addicts in Alcoholics in Recovery on the show because it really gave me this sense that they felt like recovery was temporary. Well, that's well, that's a scary thing for for me for for anybody who's has somebody that they love who had a history of uh, of addiction. You know, that's it's always in the back of one's head. But did you get that gist when you watched it? A little bit, but she, but but one of the young the one young woman had a, a food addiction problem, right? That was one of the p things she had. So she knows. I guess maybe that's where she is because she keeps maybe relapsing into the food addiction. I think food addiction is a very difficult addiction to to deal with because you have to eat. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, it is a big. My deal. dad's got serious food issues. No, we I we went to not. a restaurant. He ordered a goblet of guacamole. I you remember that? No. I swear to God, you ask him what he's eating for lunch, nothing. What is he eating for dinner? Whatever, chips and salsa. What do you eat for dinner, Dad? Hummus and, and potato chips. I'm trying to think of the, 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 the words that you mess, messed up on the Patreon thing that I sent you to message. Collateral damage. Yes. How come you couldn't even figure that out? I don't even think that was the phrase. I think it, it was a different phrase. Collateral damage was what you were looking for. Um, we're not talking about my inability to remember a phrase. I want to know what do you think you're going to have for dinner tonight? Pizza. Do you have pizza in the fridge? 
from from the birthday party. Oh my god, he brought home th- he brought home three half slices of pizza from Susan's party. He wrapped them in like parchment. I put it in aluminum foil. So that's what they've been here Plus, since then, and that's what you're gonna have for dinner in the freezer. That's your dinner. That's part of it. And chips and salsa too, probably, and, and a goblet of guac on the side. I don't have that. Well, I worry about you, and uh, I love I'm you. Glad somebody is. Yes, good. And. Do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Yeah, I already said you always keep going after you say goodbye. I didn't say goodbye. All right, yes. I said, do you? You say, be wise, yes. stay safe out right, there, stay strong, dopey nation. All right, toodles for Chris. Stay strong, dopey nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad Want to be good so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had these suckers make me mad and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever had 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 and these suckers make me mad and it's all I ever had and I want